Happy Epiphany. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful word? <laughs> you know, epiphany is one of those delicious Greek words that comes to us through the Christian tradition because of the special meaning that it has for us. Epiphany means to make manifest, to reveal, to come to a deeper understanding. And that word epiphany was applied to Jesus Christ's unfolding of the gospel that he came to deliver to us. And it is a gradual unfolding that comes to us that we're going to be looking at for a few weeks. Epiphany is one of those wonderful seasons that prepares us to process God's word and to understand it and to apply it to our lives, to come to that aha, epiphany event. Now I see, now I understand Now things are falling into place and I see how it all fits together and I understand what Jesus wants me to know. This year we have six Sundays that make up the Epiphany season. The number varies every year according to the Feast of Easter, which unlike Christmas and the 4th of July, is a movable feast that can move 30 days one way or the other uh, to the first end of February to the first part of April because it's based on the lunar calendar that the ancient world followed uh, and which brought the Easter Sunday day on which Jesus rose from the dead to prove the reality and value of all the things that he said and did while he walked this earth among us. And so we still have that influence in the church, uh, and we use that in Epiphany season and the other seasons of the year that all count their way to Easter, which is the center of our faith and understanding. And so this year we're going to have six Sundays of Epiphany. And during those six Sundays, we're going to look at various scriptural events that God unfolds for us through the life of Jesus Christ that make us understand what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a witness to the gospel, which is incumbent upon each one of us, the Great Commission that we have on the back wall is a constant remembrance for all of us of what we are called to do with this wonderful life and message of salvation that God has bestowed upon us and that brings us together to worship him. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all of the things that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, 
even to the end of the ages. That's Jesus' promise to us. That's Jesus' instructions to us. Or to use a highfalutin term, that's his commission. We are all commissioned to live this way. So for the next six weeks, we're going to look at various events in the life of Jesus that reveal him to be the Messiah. And these are very important for us because there are some people who say Jesus wasn't a Messiah. He didn't even think in terms of being a Messiah. He just was a good, faithful Jew who lived his life according to the law and taught, and God blessed some of the things that he did with miracles. But he was not a Messiah. He never claimed to be, and that is downright wrong. (laughs) Jesus very clearly declared himself to be the Messiah, and we're going to look at that because you need to be convinced of that. You need to really understand that and be ready to follow his word. He wants us to know who he is and how he relates to us and what he expects of us. And lo and behold, he is surely with us to the end of the ages. He doesn't commission us and send us off and let us go, but he stands by us, walks with us, is with us at all times to help us be faithful commissioners of the gospel. And we have to be aware of that. And we have to access his presence and expect him to help us. And the first thing that we ask him to help us do is to use the good common sense that his father gave us in creation that we might understand basically what we are supposed to do. And that's the purpose in the church year of the Feast of the Epiphany and the season of the Epiphany when we go back through the pages of Scripture and visit those special events in his life that call us to be faithful witnesses to him. Today we had the coming of the wise men and that's very important because that tells us that not only is Jesus calling us, those of us who know him and commit ourselves to him and to follow him, but God arranged for the vast pagan world to be aware of the fact that his birth on this earth was a very important event that changed the course of history. And so here you have these unlikely pagans from the Far East, probably Iraq, Iran, that particular area of the ancient world who had been separated from their Jewish brothers and sisters for centuries and yet had carried with them through their own culture and understanding the fact that God was going to move in a very special way in the world and that at a particular time in history, 
a, a Messiah, a Savior, would be born into this world and instruct the world on how to maintain its relationship with God and how to maintain our relationship with each other. And so without any help from our own scriptural and, and, and Hebrew roots, from their own country and from their own scriptures uh, and their own folklore and their own history, they were aware of the fact that something was special was happening and they came looking for a, a king in a different kingdom whose birth was going to impact the world in such a powerful way. What a wonderful introduction to Jesus' birth on this earth that so many other people would be aware of it and that they would come and acknowledge it. And then we're going to look at a couple of other events in Jesus' life, and each one of them have something to tell us. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at a, for the first miracle that Jesus ever performed, the miracle feast at Cana, and how his changing of water into wine, which seems like a rather unconsequential event, has deep meaning for us about who Jesus Christ is and his relationship to us. You know, in ancient times when there was a wedding feast, uh, people didn't just uh, jump in their car and drive over and spend an hour or two at the wedding and reception and then go home because they didn't have all the conveniences that we have now. A wedding of family members, if you were part of that family or lived in that village and knew these people, a wedding was a very important time of celebration and you were expected to be there. And if you were related to that family, no matter where you lived in the, uh, in the Roman Empire, you were expected to do everything humanly possible to come to that wedding and to be a part of that significant event in the life of a family. And so they traveled for days, and when they came, they didn't stay for a couple of hours. They stayed for several days. And the wedding reception was not just a shortly catered event in which people ate and drank and were merry and went home, but they would stay for a long time. And in that ancient world, hospitality was very important, how, you, how they treat one another and take care of one another's needs. And so it was a real faux pas to have all these people coming to your celebration and you run out of food and wine for them. And so Jesus performed his first miracle of doing something as simple as taking some jugs of water and praying over them and transforming them uh, into wine. Certainly not an earth-shaking event. It didn't do anything to change the course of history. It was not dramatic in any special way. In fact, very few people even knew that it had taken place, except for the wine steward and a couple of the people who were close by. But Jesus did it, and he did it for one reason, one simple reason to save a young bride and groom 
on their wedding day, the embarrassment of running out of supplies to take care of their guest. That tells us something about the compassion of God that he is willing to do something as dramatic as that for something as personal as that. And then we're going to look at some other very important things, the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan and the heavens opening and declaring him to be the son of God. We're going to look at his first visit when he goes back to Nazareth and by coming back as a visitor is invited to choose the scripture and read it to the people in the synagogue and he reads uh, one of the uh, Isaiah prophecies about God and then folds up the scripture and declares to the people in the congregation, what I have just read to you is about me because I am here to fulfill these ancient words of Isaiah. And then there will be several other events like that that through six weeks we will look at those. And the importance of that in our season and in our life is the pattern in which it flows and what it teaches us from that. By looking at these events one at a time and seeing the impact on the people of Jesus' time and those who followed him, we see that the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and his relationship to us is not something we are born with, but it's something that we come to be aware of over a period of time. For instance, many of you were born and raised in the church. You go to church on Sundays. You go to Sunday school. Since children, you have heard the Bible stories. And all of these events, the facts, the figures, the locations, the events, uh, are familiar to you. And you know them. They're in your mind but they don't all fit together yet. It's as you grow and mature and study these things and hear about them that they all begin to coalesce, to come together and to express to you the important message of salvation that they carry of revealing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in that process, you come to one of those ah moments how did I overlook that all of this time? Now it's coming together. I see what it means. I understand what it means, what Jesus was saying, why he did this, and what these events have to do for me. So we look at that, and we live into it, because we are called to be the witnesses to Jesus Christ. But before we can witness to a message, we have to understand the message. And that's what we are doing constantly in our liturgy, every year in our Bible study. In here as we come together in community, as we meet in small groups, uh, as we have our Sunday school classes, as you do your own personal readings, you're bringing all this information together so that it all flows in to, unf uh, to unfurl for you the reality of your relationship to Jesus Christ. 
and what he wants to do in your life. So that you, first of all, can live that life that he lays out for us and you can share it with others. You can be the witness to other people that we are called to be. You know, there's a very practical saying that uh, who you are speaks so loudly that I can't hear a word you're saying. And that means that you have to walk the walk, not just talk the walk. If you really believe the things that God called you to share with others, it will evidence itself in your life just as it did in the life of Jesus Christ. He lived the call that the Father put on his life, knowing exactly where that was leading and that he was going to be called on to witness in a very dramatic way his commitment to this message from his Father by sacrificing his life out of love for you and the desire to receive that love from you back to him. And that's what we are called to do. Before you can share the gospel with someone else, you have to live that gospel yourself. And before you can live that gospel, you must understand what that gospel means to you and what responsibilities it placed on you and what strengths and helps and supports it offers to you as well. That's what we will be doing in Epiphany. This is an exciting time. And I hope you do not miss a Sunday as we begin to unfold these events because this is so basic to all the things that will happen for the rest of the year and all the hopes and aspirations that we have as God's people about what we want to accomplish in this place at this time with the uh, opportunities that God will unfold for us as the people of God in the parish of St. Paul's. Happy Epiphany. <laughs>